Welcome to the From Way Downtown Pacers podcast. Uh, I am Indy Star Sports uh, Editor Nat Newell here, of course, with our Pacers insider Dustin Dopirak. Um, we were we have it's been a little while since we podcast. We had to survive mm. the All Star break. A lot of fun, a lot of work. Um, let's mm. do it again. Forty years, uh, another forty <laughs> years. Uh, yeah. But let's let's talk about the Pacers. They beat Dallas on Sunday, which is one of their better wins of the year, and. Uh, you know, the question for me is, have they turned a corner? And then mm. they emphatically answered that last night by saying, no, we haven't turned a corner because uh, we <laughs> lost to the, the Raptors. Um, so the question is, is basically, are, is this what they are? Are they, is mm. the sixth seed in the East, uh, the, you know, is that, the, is that the ceiling for them this year? I mean, the only reason it's not is because the seed, like, you know, uh, the, Five feet above them keeps falling down, uh, right, you know, in Philadelphia. Right. And so there's, you know, I mean, I, I, you can't rule out right now that's, um, just group between Philadelphia, uh, you know, the Pacers, Miami and Orlando are so close that you can't rule out anything happening there. I mean, obviously just as long as the 76ers don't have Embiid, they're not better than those other three teams. So they're a part of that. Um, so even after their loss, uh, the Pacers lost last night, they're only one back of Philadelphia for five. Uh, they're in seventh. They're in a virtual tie with the Heat, but the Heat have a percentage point advantage because the Heat are 32 and 25 and the Pacers are 33 and 26. There's a kind of a .002 um, percentage point difference that Miami's up uh, right now, even though the Pacers have, like, have the uh, advantage in the series. Um, so only because that, that feeling of, of what it takes to be fifth is coming down, are they capable of going above that? You know, the Knicks aren't too far ahead of them either, but, you know, obviously I, I don't think uh, Milwaukee and Cleveland are teams they can catch at this point um, because I, I don't think they can make up, a, I don't think they can win enough games in a row to make up uh, a five win gap. Uh, basically, I mean, they, they just aren't consistent enough to string that many together without, uh, stubbing their toe on somebody, um, and, you know, taking a step backwards. You know, I mean, they're, they're capable of, you know, six and four, seven and three, ten game stretches, but they're not going to go nine and one, eight and two, and that's what you need if you're going to catch those kinds of teams because they just find a way to have, uh, you know, a rough effort in the middle of there. So ultimately, yes, that's what they are. I mean, I think that still equates to winning enough games that they're going to be in it for the sixth seed until the end. They might end up as low as eighth, but I think they're safe to be uh, in that. And I think they're, you know, safe to win. Um, you know, if, if they end up in the play-in, I think they're, they're safe to win one out of two. I think you can trust them to beat the Chicago's, the Atlanta's, the Brooklyn's of the world um, to get by and survive there. Um, but, no, they're all, all always going to be capable of losing to somebody like Toronto um, and somebody in the bottom half uh, of the league, somebody that's lottery-bound. They're, they're totally capable of having these every once in a while and having a game where things just don't come together and they don't get it right. Um, and, you know, there are teams that are bad matchups for them where they have to play really well enough areas to make up for the fact that they're not good in certain ones and in particular they're not good at defending the paint and Toronto's really good at scoring in the paint and so that was a recipe for the disaster unless they were going to outshoot Toronto and they didn't um so I think they are this is yes at the end of the day who they are uh, obviously I think that still puts them on pace with who you could have imagined them to be um this year and maybe they're even a little bit better than that but they're not drastically better than that. yeah I, mean, I think that's uh, it's 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 fair to make the point that if you had said at the beginning of the season, the Pacers are going to be very much in the fight for the sixth seed, you'd take that at the beginning of the year. Does having added uh, Pascal Siakam, though, does that 
to the union should they be a, a half step ahead of that though or does that change anything in your mind for what the expectations should be for the team i mean yes in like in a nutshell yes i mean i, I think that means they should be like they should be able to get it. That being said, when you kind of look at who they're around, um, you know, it's like, okay, everybody else has reason to have that same expectation. You know, Miami has, you know, Miami's defending Eastern Conference champs. They have every yeah. reason to think they should, they should win the six. Um, you know, Cleveland obviously has a superstar in Donovan Mitchell. Milwaukee obviously added a bunch of guys. You know, uh, New York having Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. Obviously, Randle's out right now, but they have reason to believe that they should be up there. You know, Philadelphia obviously had, you know, when they're on their game, they have Embiid and Maxi, and certainly they're, you know, most of their wins this season are going to end up still having come with both of those guys. So at the end of the day, like, yes, I think you can look at it and say if you have two all-stars, uh, at the caliber of Halliburton and Siakam, that means you should be a top six team. But there are seven, eight teams in the East that also have that same claim. Um, and so it's, you know, ultimately the fact that they are a part of that group, that they are within the eight, um, that has every reason to believe it should be a six seed and should be that good, um, you know, means they're on track, um, you know, just considering where all of those franchises are. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, they, they, they have reason to believe they can be better, but so does everybody else that's a part of that discussion. Yeah, do you have confidence better than 50% chance that they finish ahead of Miami and or Orlando? Better than 50%? No. I mean, I have a better I have a better than 50% thought that Philly's going to fall below all of them. I think like that 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 seems to me I like I'm almost more confident in that that before they get Embiid back, Philly falls behind Miami, Indiana, and possibly Orlando. Um, so then I Philly's think, the eighth seed, and these three teams are fighting for five, six, seven. Yeah, unless they get Embiid back and Embiid goes off and just carries them over the last ten games or so. Right. You know, right. Unless they get he gets in in like mid March and you still got a ten game stretch left with him, um, and he comes back and he's not only you know healed but he's himself and he just dominates everybody and they come back and win like eight of their last ten and all of a sudden they jump those teams but i think you know there's i have just as much confidence that they'll jump philly uh as i do that they'll stay ahead of miami and orlando i think i mean i am more confident they'll stay ahead of orlando even though i think i honestly think that like in a one in either a one game or even a seven seven game playoff like i have less confidence in them against orlando than i i do against the best teams in the east because they haven't they haven't <laughs> yeah. beat i mean orlando is like their worst matchup like, like out of the top eight orlando is the only team they haven't beat at least once this year, you know, not winning the series, but I mean, they beat Boston, they beat, beat Cleveland, Milwaukee, New York, Philadelphia, Miami. They haven't beat Orlando yet. And I don't know if they will. I mean, they've got another, I think they've got, they've got, I think they have two games left against them. I think they definitely have one on the road and I, I have little, very little confidence. They're going to be able to go beat them on the road. You know, like I, I, I very like would not expect them to do that because I mean, I think Orlando has what Toronto has, but they're better. Um, you know, they're better defensively, but they have the, they have length. They they are you know, um, the overall talent I think is higher. Um, you know, at this point, and they're just they're a tougher defensive team, and they're a problem. And it's just when, when the Pacers go up against a team that's got a lot of size, uh, they have a problem. When you can really go from like two to five, and everybody's six 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 seven at least. Uh, with muscle, they have a problem against those teams. So I think I'll have a hard time with that. But I mean, North Orlando is still young, and I think they're still leaving some on the table too. Um, so I think the Pacers have a chance to still sort of outwin them. But, I mean, I think if it, if it came down to if they had to play each other, whoever wins the most is going to get the seed, Orlando would take it. 
Um, how, when, how and when did the Pacers deal with that? I mean, you mentioned they lose to Portland because Portland's long. Um, I, I mean, if, if the Pacers are the team we think they should be, I don't care what Portland is. They're bad enough. Mm-hmm. You should find a way to beat them. But, but anyway, Portland yeah. is, is a, as you said. Toronto, team Toronto and matches. Portland, both of them. To- and Toronto, Toronto I think Toronto's like maybe actually an okay team, like as in they could easily be the 12 or the, the 10 seed by the end of this, which right. again, Pacers should beat them at home. But yeah. you know, I, I think, you know, are that to me, I, I, I hesitate a little bit to call them a lottery team, but, but anyway, sure. but beyond that, when and how do they address that issue? Do you the think? size issue? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's tough because I don't know that they can build that way. Uh, I right. mean, I think, they're they're built in such a way that their guys just aren't that um, on the whole, you know. I mean, just they they are not a team that's just a muscled up team, and they would have to kind of re totally reconstruct the roster. I mean, it starts with obviously the fact that their best player just isn't a guy that's going to out muscle you, you know. I mean, like for I mean, like Tyrese Halliburton is an absolute magician, and so I don't think I'm ripping on him in any way by saying this, but like when it just comes to somebody coming straight at him, he is just never going to win that. You know, when you're talking about NBA players that are, you know, big dudes, you know, and so it's like when you start there, when that's your best player and you have to have him on the floor, then there's always going to be at least one matchup that they can take advantage of if they're built that way from one to five. Um, so, like, that's hard to address. And so then you go down the line, and everybody else is a little bit further back. I mean, Andrew Nemhard is, is a tough little, you know, is a tough dude, and he's bigger than you think, but he's not huge. Like, he's... You know, he's 6'5", 185, or 190, and all of its muscle. I mean, he is he, he is a tough guy, um, but he's not 6'6", 210, 215, you know, long arms, something like that type of two-guard. Um, and and down the line, Matherin's, you know, pretty live type of guy, you know, pretty, you know, he, he's obviously physically ripped and whatnot. Um, but if you're, you know, when you're playing him at the three, like, there are guys who can out-muscle him. Um, you know, Aaron Neesmith is, is a little tougher. When you can play Neesmith at the three, you know, he's pretty even up. Um, but you know, when you're playing him at the four, he's behind. Obviously, you know, Siakam is a guy that's got a lot of length, but he's not necessarily this huge ripping dude compared to some of the other power forwards. They're just, you know, one to five and even Turner gets out muscled by certain fives, you know, guys like Embiid that are bigger than him. Um, they'd almost just have to reconstruct the entire roster. So what they have to do is they have to counter, they have to be better at what they're better at than what those teams are good at. And that's how they won in Toronto is they outshot them. Um, you know, they, they hit, I think, 17 threes that night. The Raptors hit six. Uh, they need, you know, like Toronto lacks skill at the end of the day. I mean, they can shoot it sometimes. And when you let Grady Dick get wide open, then he can burn you. Um, but other than that, they don't have, they're not a, a great shooting team. Scotty Barnes isn't a great shooting player. He can out muscle you and he's a really creative player for a guy his size. But he's, you know, as a whole, you know, like if you defend the three reasonably well and you don't let, you know, you don't let leave Grady Dick alone. Um, you have a chance to you have a chance to just outshoot them and they can outmuscle you and you'll still end up winning. Um, but yeah, I, I like to become a team that evenly matches Orlando and Toronto sort of pound for pound to position for position. They've got to just be a, a different group of guys. I mean, it's just got to be a wholly different group of guys. And I mean, they they need one or two players to make it a little more even. Um, and I do think that has to continue to be a focus. Is just to, you know, if when they're adding people, they have to add more muscle. And they need Jarris Walker to turn into a guy who's like that. Um, you know, I, I think he's got the physical build to be that. Um, he's got to get some more man muscle, and he's got to be a, a tougher defender. Uh, he's gotten better of a, a lot of things, but I think you look at Walker and you say, all right, that's. 
you know, uh, a mound of clay that I can turn into a, a player like that. Um, but he's not quite there yet. So they, they need Walker to develop into that kind of player, and they need to add some other pieces that aren't that right now who become that kind of player. Or they could lean more into what they are now and say perhaps add a really high-volume three-point shooting uh, player, you know, like someone like Buddy Heal. Like Buddy Heal. <laughs> Where's he at now? Yeah, yeah. That's, um, mm. I think you're right. I, you're, I, the, the core of this team is what's going to be the core of this team next year, assuming mm. Siakam comes back, which everyone – and it should be. I mean, I, you're, you'd be not, I mean, they've done a great job putting this together, um, but mm. it will be interesting to see if they yeah. can – you, you know, find that one or two extra small pieces that that lets them compete um, with those types of uh, of those teams. But uh, mm-hmm. you mentioned Jarris Walker; he got some early run last night. Although I don't think he ended up playing a whole lot. Uh, ben Shepard had uh, his best, certainly, shooting game of the of the uh, season uh, against Dallas. Give us a quick rundown on where the rookies are and what if what their role is going to be for the rest of the year, although I don't really think it's changed a whole lot. No, I think Shepard's has. Uh, I think Shepard has really put himself in a position that he matters more. Uh, and, you know, Doug McDermott went out with with uh, calf soreness last night, I and mean, that's what we know it to be. So I don't know if that's going to be something that's more serious and keeps him off the floor. But, you know, w- w- as long as he's missed out, and I don't expect that to be too much longer, but if you told me it's going to be the rest of the week, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, you know, Shepard's put himself in a position that I think, you know, I mean, it's between him and McDermott and there are ways that, you know, there, there are situations when you'd rather have Shepard, uh, you know, on the floor. I mean, right now those are, you know, if, if you bring, when you bring this knee Smith back, you put Matherin back into the second unit and then you have one more wing spot available and it's between McDermott and Shepard and Shepard's the better defender. Uh, and without question, I mean, I think they won that game in Toronto because of the stop that Shepard had, um, on, um, uh, on Barrett, on RJ Barrett at the end of the game. And so I think he's, he is a, a key piece. They, they trust him to defend and he's a spot shooter. I mean, um, you know, Carlisle calls him a really good system player and he says what that means is when he takes, when he's open, he takes a shot. When he's not, he moves it along and he's good at that. And so that's an easy piece to put in, uh, to your, you know, to your second unit. I mean, I think obviously he's not the, High volume shooter that healed is or that McDermott could be. Um, but he's, you know, he can hit him at a pretty good clip and, and, and when he's on, he can be on. I mean, like his overall percentage isn't great because he'll have nights where he'll just go over three and stop shooting. Um, but you know, he can have nights where he goes five of five. Um, and so I think he's a really key piece for this. He's, he is a rotation guy going forward. Uh, I think because I, I you know, if, if McDermott's missing any more amount of time, then Shepard has to be the guy. There's really no choice in that matter. Um, and he might be better than McDermott, even, you know, even if he isn't out and, you know, McDermott hasn't hit a bunch so far. You certainly, he was acquired for the purpose of at least partially mitigating, um, the loss of three point shooting with healed. He hasn't come close to doing that yet. Even he's not even going halfway, um, to what Buddy's doing, um, in Philadelphia. Like it's, it's not even close in terms of what you're losing. I think, um, you know, I, I, I and I, to go back to your point, like I, I think it is a, a significant loss. I mean, I think they had a chance to have a really, really offensively productive second unit, um, with, you know, McDonald, McConnell, uh, you know, Master and Heald as being your, you know, one, two, three guys in the top and then Smith at four at the five. I mean, you could really score with that lineup. Um, and I think they've lost something. I mean, I think you, you lose a significant amount of scoring punch, certainly with Master and now with the first unit as long as, um, Neesmith is out. Um, but, you know, I think even when you, when you move Matherin back, I think there's, you're not going to have that gravity shooter that's going to open things up for him. So I think it's going to cost him a significant amount on the, on the, uh, on the offensive end. Um, so I think they are a lesser team without Buddy Heald. I continue to say that, but I do think Ben Shepard mitigates that maybe right now more than Doug McDermott does. 
Oh, and, and do you see anything changing in terms with Walker? I mean, they gave him a little bit early run last night, but I'm but I'm guessing that he'll still be doing what he's been doing. That's my presumption at this point. Um, I mean, I think he's always got a chance to play his way into it. Um, and, you know, if McDermott's out and Neesmith misses a couple more games, then he's the only option. Uh, and so he's got a chance to get some minutes and maybe that earns him something. I think there are scenarios where it, it might make sense to play him more. And I, and I think um, I don't know if Rick Carlisle is going to necessarily look for them at this point. I don't know how much he, he you know, fully trusts, you know, Walker in those scenarios because there have been a couple of times where he's sort of, so the Walkers earned the right, but then he, that hasn't led to, you know, consistent playing time afterwards. So um, I think, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't say it's 100% no chance that Walker plays his way into a rotation spot between now and the end of the year, um, but it doesn't look good. You know, it doesn't look likely at, at this point. So I think it's just he's still going to take the opportunities to get uh, G League run when he can get it. I think he's certainly a better player than he was at the start, start of the year. The outside shot has come a long way, um, but I don't think he is – uh, you know, I, his defense, as Caitlin Cooper puts this, got to, you know, give her credit for, for, for saying it this way is that his defense in reality right now is not what it is in theory. Uh, you know, that's what he was supposed to be this defensive ace as, as a, uh, you know, as a draft prospect and he hasn't turned into that yet. And since you can't necessarily trust him that he's going to go lock somebody down defensively, um, you know, the offense isn't good enough to play, uh, that to, to overcome that. And so you need him to become that defensive player that he was projected to be before you can really make him a rotation guy. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. He's a, uh, he's one of those types of guys that I've always liked in that, like he's a power forward, but he can pass and uh, mm. um, do, you know, he, he has skills beyond what you normally see for the position. Sure. But you, you also, I mean, it's almost like there's not a niche role for him necessarily where there mm. is for Shepard. I mean, it's just yes. an interesting uh, contrast. Uh, between them. I mean, Walker, you almost have to have out there because he can play defense, because he can pass, and then you hope he can shoot a little bit. But but you're not ready to, you know, trust is not the right word, but he, you're just, he's not prepared for that yet, given the stakes for this Pacers team where the ceiling for Shepard is lower, and thus I think it's a little bit easier to work him in. Sure, yeah, no, totally. I think, you know, Walker, if it all comes together, then he has a chance to be a special player. Um, if, if it all comes together, but it's just like, to your point, you're seeing more, I, I think the skills that you don't necessarily generally associate with the position stand out more now for him than the ones that generally do. And, that, and I think that's the issue. He's better at things that you don't usually get at that spot than he is at the things that you generally do. And they need the things that you generally do. You know, they, they need him to rebound. They need him to finish close to the rim. They need him to defend uh, and really be able to, to switch one to five. Uh, you know, they need those things from him and they're not getting enough of that. I mean, he can come out and, and make really slick passes and make some outside shots. Um, and that's nice, but like, I mean, he needs to do, you know, what he was drafted to do on top of those bonus things. You know, right now he's just better at the bonus things and those show out. Um, but you need him to be able to really guard somebody. You need him to be able to really rebound. You need to be able to really finish at the rim and just just take advantage of the length and size that he has and out muscle some people on top of you know the the more skilled things he does and so it's just the, uh, the other things are nice right now but he needs the baseline stuff to be able to get on the floor and Ben Shepard does the baseline things you need at his two three wing off the bench you know he shoots and he def- he, he guards his positions I mean he, you're not necessarily switching him onto a four handle a two or a three keep them in front of him you know do a really good job of defending without fouling him. he really he's 
he's really fundamentally sound as a defensive player. When you just watch, you know, the, 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 like, especially when you watch that Barrett stop, uh, at the end of the Toronto game, I mean, it's, it's really textbook. I mean, his ability to just, just shuffle his feet, you know, keep, you know, square with a guy and not use his hands in a way that gets him a foul, you know, gets him called for a foul is really good and a really advanced for a, for a player his age. So, I mean, he can just do those things. That's all it takes. And so he's an easy plug and play guy. And, you know, I, you know, one thing that uh, Carlisle's done with him, he doesn't do with a lot of other guys is when there's been an injury or there's been somebody that, that, that has been out for some reason or, or a, a distinct amount of foul trouble, they've been able to put him in in fourth quarters if he hasn't played all game and he's still been able to make an impact. And that's, I think, you know, pretty advanced for a young guy to be able to come in cold and still do what he's supposed to do. And Ben Shepard does that. Uh, you mentioned Matherin. Uh, I mean, he's the one, I guess, X factor. I mean, it's pretty obvious, maybe too obvious to be an X factor, but, but if sure. he becomes a consistent 18 point scorer within the flow of the offense, mm-hmm. does that solve some of the problems? Or, I mean, again, I, or, you know, does that take him up a half notch and, and make the Pacers, you know, a little bit more likely to get out of the play and that kind of thing? Sure. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I think obviously his, uh, his difference between floor and ceiling is, is huge. And also, you know, when you get him really cooking, that makes him a lot better. I mean, it's, it's, it's always just tough for Matherin to figure out the balance because he is, you know, I, I think even Carlisle mentioned this last night and it was just, I didn't get a chance to get it in my story, but it's like, it, because it would have taken a lot of explanation to get there. But he said, you know, um, when I was asking him about just Chiaka and Matherin stepping up, he's like, well, the, the thing is, is like, we're just, we're not a good isolation team. Like it, like, you know, and, and, and the thing is the, the implied thing there is that Matherin's a really good isolation player. And so he's at his best when the ball stops at him and he has the opportunity to really kind of set somebody up and drive at them or hit a step back or whatever. I mean, like he's got that offensive skill set. And so it's just when you're moving the ball as fast as the Pacers do for him to be able to get things in the flow of the offense, he's got to make decisions really, really quick and decide whether he's going to go, you know, drive or shoot or pass really fast. And I think he, you know, tends to be like to be a guy who dribbles a little bit and, you know, kind of measures his defender up and decides what he wants to do. And that does, you know, that doesn't exactly work in the flow of the offense. So it's tough for him to do that. But on a night when Halliburton was rough, somebody needed to be able to be that guy who does take the ball and say, all right, I'm going to find a way to score. And, and I might take a couple of dribbles before I do that. Um, and so that was okay last night. And so then he can be a 34 point guy. And, you know, so it's, it's not easy for him to be the player he is and also fit with what they do. Um, but, you know, sometimes you, you are going to need him to be that guy. Sometimes when Halliburton's off or when the ball's not moving as fast as it is, or somebody's blowing your stuff up, you need to have, you know, a plan B and Matherin can be your plan B. Um, so that's, it's an interesting sort of, you know, dichotomy to figure out, okay, how does, does that necessarily fit? But yeah, if he can still be a guy who gets you 15 a night, um, 16, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, 18 a night, when he doesn't have to be ball dominant, uh, then that does go a long way. And especially, you know, when, it, when Neesmith is out, you, you desperately need production from him. Neesmith obviously fits very easily in that because he's a really catch-and-shoot, three-point shooter type of guy in terms of where he gets his offense, and he is a more quick decision-maker that isn't going to stop the ball and isn't going to you know play around and cross over somebody three or four times before he goes. Uh, but you could really use a situation where you're getting Neesmith's buckets out of the starting lineup and then Matherin's buckets out of the, out of the second unit. Um, and so that, that, does, that does go a long way, and I, I think they need Matherin to score – with that second unit, because otherwise there are fewer guys uh, that can get their own. 
Uh, you mentioned Neesmith, uh, been out, obviously. Doesn't sound, sounds like he's back sooner rather than later. Um, you've also got a big piece on him coming up. Uh, just give us a quick update, injury status wise, and then a taste of what's to come, uh, with your piece on him. Yeah, no, I think, um, it's, it's tough to say because Carlisle has been particularly, um, dodgy with that one. You know, he gets that way sometimes. Uh, as far as just giving us information as to how far things are going. I mean, I think you you got to presume it can't be that long because there's not been a time that he hasn't been walking around. Um, you know, there's never been a time where he was stuck in a walking boot or walking around on crutches or anything like that. Um, even you know, he walked out of the building as bad as, as ugly as it looked. He had to be kind of carried off, uh, you know, after the injury in Toronto. He was, you know, he, he walked out of the building. He wasn't on crutches. He didn't have a walking boot. We haven't seen him in anything like that. And it seems like his progression in practice has been pretty steady. Uh, but we don't know. I mean, he hasn't been specific. If you told me it's going to be another week, it wouldn't shock me. Um, and I wouldn't think it would be much longer than that. But if you told me, all right, well, he's not going to play in, you know, the upcoming road trip and he'll be all right after that. I mean, that, that seems possible. If you told me he's going to play on Wednesday, it wouldn't shock me. But no, I think, uh, with the piece, uh, it's way too long right now. So, uh, you know, God bless you when you get a hold of it. Um, but it's, um, just really delved into him as the guy who likes to do the dirty work and where that comes from. And I think I learned a lot about you know, his family. His dad was a longshoreman in Charleston, uh, you know, South Carolina, uh, and really taught him a lot about hard labor, honestly, uh, you know, because his dad did that a lot. His dad's been injured for a long time, had an injury at work, and has done less of that, but still has been a guy who's tried to do a lot for himself since. And they've, uh, they own a piece of property out in Charleston where Aaron really had to do a lot of work there growing up. And so you, you see that kind of carry into who he became as a player. Uh, that's how they always viewed him as, as a high school player, as a guy that just always wanted to do what was you know best for his team, never be, wanted to be a guy that chased shots, um, but wanted to defend the best player, wanted to be the guy who's getting in there for rebounds and screens and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, you know, just sort of, you sort of see who he is now and who he, how he became that. Um, and also just, you know, what he went through in Boston also is kind of a side piece for that as well. But uh, it got a lot of, you know, you keep hearing a lot of everything that you hear about Aaron Neesmith now is what you hear from Aaron ne- hear about Aaron Neesmith from anybody that, that's been around him on the way up. And so it's kind of a, a story that kind of a, a piece that tells that story. All right. Well, we'll wrap up with just a quick all-star game uh, uh, discussion. Uh, mm-hmm. The only question I have after watching it all is, why does anyone care whether the All-Star game is good mm-hmm. or not? Should they care? Um, and I think it's pretty clear that uh, whatever you think, it's never going to be anything but what, what, what we what we saw uh, here in Indy. Mm-hmm. But what were your what are your sure. thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to change. I just, I, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on it. About, I, I think, you know, I, I like. Whenever we talk about the All-Star Game, we talk about, oh, Michael Jordan would never let this happen. And I think one thing that you, you know, kind of look at is this group of players, like part of it is like, well, they don't have any heart. But part of it is they also know to let that which does not matter not matter. And, you know, like, you know, Michael Jordan burned out twice and had to retire twice before he retired. You know, LeBron James has, has come up and has been kind of the center you know, central figure in this generation, and and he's played 400 more games than Michael Jordan has, and he's still kicking at 40 at 39, um, and is drastically better player than Michael Jordan was at 39 because maybe it's partially because these guys just don't wear themselves out on exhibitions. You know, um, I don't, that might be some part to it, but no, I, I think I mean I, I the one thing that I would say, the one argument that I would say that made I guess some impact on how I viewed it was I, I think I saw on Twitter, I think Sam Bassini from the Athletics said, you know, you don't know how bad this looks to the fan that kind of jumps from sport to sport. 
um, from season to season. And if, if you're, if you've been, you know, obsessed with football until now and you're like, Oh, I'm going to care about basketball until baseball season, um, or at least through the finals, you know, your, your first sort of taste a week after the Super Bowl is the all-star game. Um, and this doesn't make you want to watch it going forward. Um, that's not necessarily fair. I mean, I would certainly make the case that, well, that's not what you're going to see from game to game and week to week. Yeah. It's much more entertaining product. Um, this isn't what you want to watch if you want to know how good the NBA is right now. You should just watch a random Sunday Bucks 76ers game. Like, you've got a better chance of knowing what, what you know, what's going on in the league by watching one of those than you do have seeing all the best in the same place. Um, so I don't, you know, like, I know I don't particularly care because I cover it. And it's just, it's not a big deal to me. Um but I, there is something to be said for the fact that, like, you maybe we don't realize how much that part of the product stands out. You know, it, it is the only game on TV at the time. Uh, the only thing it's competing with is college ball. And so, you know, you, you, when you have all the opportunity for all of the eyes, that's what you put out there. Um, and so I, I, I can see how that's an issue. But I also can't see how you could, um, you know, uh, properly um, incentivize hard play in this. I, I don't because it's just like, okay, like what do I need? You know, it, it make it would make no sense for Tyrese Halliburton to suddenly play really tough defense, um, you know, in, in this game. I mean, like, and, and a lot of these guys are out there because they're great offensive players. I mean, I think that's one thing that you certainly have seen is, is, is the best players are so much better offensively that are de- that than they are defensively, but they don't even guard each other because they're not great defensive players. They're out there because they can score an absurd amount of points um and make shots and make great passes and dazzle you and they can't guard each other you know like when when they're you know one-on-one on each other the guy who has the ball wins you know almost all the time um so you know i i think that's it's an interesting place where the league is right now but i i you know that you you, you know i i think the only way you could solve it is decide that you're gonna you know make sure that you you take the five best defensive players and put them in the all-star game <laughs> and you know, and, and decide it's going to be that way. But like, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, like Tyrese Halliburton, I think wants the All Star game to get better. But like, is are, you know, like obviously they're on the same team right now if you're playing East West. But I mean, like if you had him go guard Steph Curry, he's going to lose. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. and so even if you decide that some of these guys decide they want to play tough defense, well, they're not. They're not going to be, you know, on a given night, they're not the guy who guards Steph Curry anyway. And they're going to lose those matchups because they're not as good of defensive players as they are of offensive players. Um, so, you know, I mean, Ben Adebayo is out there for defense, and that's about it. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, as, as the format goes right now, they got to do something drastically different um, to make it a better game because, you know, like, one, there's, there's not an incentive to go all out because – um, you know, because of injury and whatnot, you you don't need to to really be ripping it in these games because you still have 26 more to play, and you know they're going to judge you based on what you do in the playoffs anyway. You're going to totally forget about this game by May, um, and so you know they they know that they know this isn't what the, what gets them paid. Um, so I I guess I don't think there's there's not enough money I don't think to make a difference, frankly, because they make enough money anyway. Tyrese Halliburton pointed that out. It's like okay, if you make if you give everybody who wins this game another million dollars, is that going to really matter? I don't think so because you know what what you get out of the finals, um, you know, long term, whether it's in terms of just an award, reward for winning it or just you know how you get paid afterwards, you know, that's going to be much better. Um, and again, you know, these guys are out there because they score, because they score the most points. So, uh, like, the only way to me that you're going to make this a lot better is if you decide that you got to get guys that are out there because they play defense. 
you know, and that that's why they're in the game. You need to make sure guys like Drew Holiday are in it every year and Derek White's in it every year, and you got to demand that those guys play um, the game that they usually play. And, you know, these guys are out there because they dazzle you with the shots they hit and the passes they make and, you know, how they can get to the rim and everything like that and, and score and dunk and all that kind of stuff. So that's what they do in, in the All-Star game, and that's what playing hard is to them. They they do what they do best. Um so I, to me, the, I guess if you really want to make this better, you got to get get guys that are out there because they play defense, get them in the game and make them defend. Um, and because otherwise, you know, you have a bunch of guys out there who can't uh, defend themselves, frankly. Uh, okay. To incentivize it, as soon as you get any combination of three steals and blocks, you can leave. So uh, <laughs> you block a shot, it's your third block of the game, you can just immediately walk into the locker room Get dressed and leave. Go home. So then we get defense. And you don't even Um, have to do media. (laughs) No, yeah, you you miss media, you can leave immediately, have your private plane waiting for you. I'd be a little worried that there'd be some, like, side deals and that we'd only have, like, four players left, but I'm willing to give that a shot. Um, I think if you went international versus U.S., it Mm. would be better for a year or two, but then it would be ordinary again. We'd be right back where we are. And the other thing I'd say is the first – First time someone gets seriously hurt. Now let's let's be clear. I don't. I cannot remember a single injury in the NBA All Star game. But no. the first time someone got hurt, it would be all over in terms of anyone taking this at all seriously ever again. No, they might like they might literally end it if someone ever tears an ACL at an All Star game. That's yeah. it, it. Might be over the next year. Yep. It, it might immediately end. <laughs> they might call it that that moment. Yes, everybody yeah. walks out. Everybody gets to leave then, too. So. Everybody gets to leave right then. Somebody tells me they're not even coming back on the floor. They're just taking off. But <laughs> let's like, try to get the three combination of steals and blocks that equals three, and you can leave the game uh, <laughs> going on social media, and we'll see where that there goes. Go. There you go. But uh, that is it for the From Way Downtown Pacers podcast. Go to IndyStar.com for all of Dustin's work, and uh, we appreciate you listening. <laughs>